What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Slur Podcast. My name is Javi. Hope you guys are doing well. Today, I'm hanging out here at Boomtown Brewery. Uh, thank you guys to the uh, to the crew and all the lovely people here at Boomtown for hosting us. Today, I'm hanging out with a buddy of mine, Mr. Danny Jensen. He is an author of a fucking awesome book that's coming out, a freelance writer, and an L.A. transplant. Danny, thank you so much for jumping on the show today. Thank you for having me. Man, it's always a pleasure. Now, let's get into it. Let's cheers. Start, cheers, start the yeah. conversation the right way. Uh. Now, you have a very interesting story, sir. You uh, are originally from the East Coast, correct? And That's you eventually right. ended up in LA. Tell us your story. Sure, yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up in uh, just outside of Boston, Brookline, um, and then went to school in New York, went to Vassar, and then moved to, uh, to Brooklyn to pursue acting and uh, follow the dream. So uh, did a lot of theater there and regionally, mm-hmm. um, you know, the whole Shakespearean uh, of course, of and course. All that. The, the struggling um, actor. Yes. What, yeah. what, what, what was it about acting that like? Was there a movie, or was it just the idea of playing a character? What was it about it that really right. grasped you? Uh, you know, it was something that started, I guess, early on, and just always enjoyed performing, uh, even if it was like the second grade talent show, Surfing USA. And, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I was fortunate that like my school had a really great theater program, and so mm. I just kind of gravitated towards it. Um, but I think. Um, just the opportunity to tell stories, uh, I think, was a was a big draw, and, right? Um, and entertaining as well, and mm-hmm. uh, sort of uh, explore those other you know other experiences that people have had, right? Um, right. So it's kind of something I think that was sort of foundational to then my my later writing work, which mm-hmm. is cool. Now, but, um, what what genre were you into? Were you into uh, comedy? Was it serious? Like, what what did you like to do? Yeah, it was a, it was a mix of things. Um, definitely a fair amount of, of drama but i feel like comedy is what i sort of ended up yeah. you know really enjoying uh, of course by the most um but yeah as i said i did a lot of uh a lot of shakespeare and uh that was always fun there was this outdoor amphitheater where we did shows a lot and mm-hmm. um on uh, martha's vineyard and uh so it's been uh it was i don't know just uh great to introduce people to those classics and you know especially there are a lot of like younger kids who come to the shows um and yeah, just really engage with the audience, you know, directly. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, so I did that for a while, and then um, moved out to LA to sort of continue doing that, uh, mm. do more, uh, obviously more sort of film oriented and commercials, things like that. But um, I started writing as a day job for TakePart.com, which is Participant Media's website, and yeah. so they covered uh, a wide variety of issues. Um, and different films that they produce. So, right. Uh, the Soloist with Robert Downey Jr. and Jamie Foxx. So um, I would write about issues related to those films. So it would be, okay. I'd write about you know, homelessness and poverty. I'd write about um, climate change because they did An Inconvenient Truth, um, Food Inc. So that's, Food Inc. was really when I started writing a lot about food in particular, but more on the sort of political side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that for a while for Take Part, Change.org, a bunch of other sites. And then um, I started uh, being a food t- uh, food tour guide. So with Six Taste, I saw just a posting online and said, you know, you want to be the next Anthony Bourdain. Yeah, <laughs> sounds fun. We all want to be that yeah. guy. So, um, yeah, so I went, um, 
did that for a while, and I would lead uh, these food tours around different neighborhoods. I did it in Hollywood and Santa Monica and downtown and take people at five or six restaurants, and they get to sample the food, and I talk about the history of the neighborhood and the restaurants. So mm-hmm. really sort of connected a lot of the dots for me in terms of, you know, to sort of a love for history and getting to know L.A., and uh, also food and sort of introducing people to these really cool out-of-the-way places. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was sort of the bridge that then got me into writing more about local food. Right. Started writing for Thrillist and, um, you know, continued on with LAist and I've written for KCT and mm-hmm. uh, you know, Time Out, a bunch of other right. sort of local sites. So, um, when so you yeah, were, it was fun. Okay. When, when you were a food critic, though, like, did they have a uh, set, like, here are the facts about LA, or did you kind of have to create it all yourself? Um, sorry, for the food tours? Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was a mix. So, like, for the Hollywood tour, I created that myself. I sort of picked out the places we wanted to go. Right. And, um, you know, some of the other tours were created by previous tour guides, so mm-hmm. I would help to sort of um, customize them as I was leading them. So, let's say, you know, places open and close all the time, so it's say, okay, well, we can't go to that place. Let's try that this new place. Right. Um, and, you know, you always, as a, as a tour guide, you would make it your own tour and sort of add your own yeah, of course. personal spin to it. But, um, yeah, it was fun because it was a mix of uh, locals and uh, tourists coming in. I think a lot of people think of, like, a tour. It's like, oh, just, you know, tourists. But, right. um, but I'd always love having people who grew up in L.A. or, you know, lived here for decades. And, you know, oh, I never knew about this place. Right, and, yeah. and introduce them to things. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so I really enjoyed doing that. And, um now I'm uh, having the opportunity, as you mentioned, to uh, I have a book coming out. So it's 100 Things to Do in L.A. Before You Die. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a little bucket list uh, book. And um, it's uh, co-authored with Carrie Kim. And so this will be actually the second edition. She wrote the first right. and uh, asked me to come on board. And um, it's been great. It's just a lot of these really great hidden gems that I had either written about before or just checked out on my own mm-hmm. um, and then also had the excuse to explore more yeah of course and, uh, <laughs> just excuse to go out that's yeah, all this is yeah absolutely so um, yeah so it's been exciting so we have that uh, it's coming up um, the uh, it's going to be released in the mid to late April mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to have a launch party in uh, at Angel City so uh, I'm looking forward to that it's going to be fun yeah, yeah. Um, now interesting thing about people that come from the east coast and come to california it goes one of two ways either they love it here and they stay or they say fuck la and they leave but then they come back again now you stayed i did what what was it about la do you think that like kept you here um you know yeah it's coming up on on 10 years it's one of i remember someone telling me too when they when i first moved here they said like you know the way that time goes in la it just kind of blurs together and i think part of it has to do with the um, sort of not having the distinction of, you know, dramatic seasons like you do on the East yeah, Coast. Yeah. Eh? Um, it just kind of all blends together a little bit. So time time seems to pass suddenly. And um, But, no, I really took to it right away. I mean, as soon as I came out here, I thought, yes, this I like <laughs> this. Um, and I'd come out, my, my brother used to live in San Francisco. So oh, perfect. I'm sort of familiar a bit, you know, as far as, like, the West Coast goes. Mm-hmm. Um and but I never imagined myself in LA. I thought, oh yeah, San Francisco. Mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, I really took to it. And I think a lot of it was just the um, there was always this feeling of possibility uh, that just you know maybe it was part of, partly the weather, just sort of feeling like that warm weather. You felt like anything can happen just right around the corner. You know, makes you want to 
sort of explore and get out and check things out. And yeah. you know, as much as I love the energy of New York and I love living there, um, it can it can be a grind. I mean, LA can be a grind too, but it's sort of in a different, different way. grind. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you're not sort of huddled in the subway as much, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, it just gives you the chance to sort of open up your horizons, I guess. So, yeah. One beautiful thing. One beautiful thing about LA is that it's so spread out. I mean. Mm-hmm. You, you can't live in this place and not have a car. And if you do live in this place and don't have a car, I don't know how you do it. I mean, and there is some transportation, but I mean, it's crazy. Um, one of the things that I find about L.A. that the more and more I talk to people, you know, the past few, especially over the past few years with the rise of the you know, brewing industry and just these sort of niche markets for uh, restaurants is that, I mean, five, six years ago, L.A. was considered like a wasteland almost for beer and food. Um, when you moved out here, you said almost 10 years, like how would you compare the scene then to now? It's crazy. I mean, just, you know, specifically about beer. Uh, I just remember, remember Angel City uh, Brewery coming online and I remember um, Eagle Rock, uh, but it was, you know, just sort of those, those early years. And, um, you know, I wasn't an, at that point like a avid, I guess, well, enjoyed craft beer but just you know like in in new york and um but i wasn't actively going out and pursuing you know finding breweries and i guess part of it was here there just mm-hmm. weren't that many to to explore but um but i always loved you know even when i was younger like i was you know rather than drink sort of cheaper beer which whatever you do what's available <laughs> of but, course of but course if it was up to me like i would be the one behind the like you know obscure German beers, the Weinstefan, I mean, that's not that obscure, but at the time it was, <laughs> at, my, at that age, when everyone else is drinking uh, other stuff, I just, uh, again, I like to, to explore and try things out. Right, right. Um, So, yeah, so once the, you know, breweries started, uh, more breweries started coming online, it was exciting, and, and now to see how dramatically it's grown, uh, I think it's just great. I mean, I think it's um, great to see so many different styles too you know you can go to phantom carriage and have the sours and you can go up to mcleod and have the cast condition ales and um you know monkish and you know just so many eclectic styles that you can really find something for everyone you know there might be something where people say oh i don't i don't really drink beer but you know they may just be familiar with kind of the big brand names right um you know given the opportunity they can explore and go to the brewery and do a flight and try out something and say, oh, wait a second, maybe I do like beer. I just haven't found the right <laughs> beer for me. Exactly. Um, you know, I think, and I guess the, the same could be said, too, for, for the food scene. Um, you know, like I say, I mean, it was sort of a, an ongoing interest for me. Um, but given, I think, given how spread out L.A. is and that it sort of requires you to actively go out and pursue, uh, whether it's food, beer, entertainment, you know, anything mm-hmm. you're interested in, um, you know, you've got to be up for that. One has to have the drive to get out there. Yeah, you got to drive, or if you're if you're really driven, you you know, take the take the subway and walk. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's the real motivation. But um, hell yeah. But you know, I think in New York, there's a sense of uh, you know, you can stumble upon things and discover things, but they're all right right there. on top of you. You know, so here it's like you really have to actively go out and find those things. Um, which I think makes it a little more exciting. I think we find that little hidden spot, that hole in the wall. It's, right, you know, exactly. Oh, man, this is my little spot. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and it's always like the, 
as a as a food and drink writer, there's always that conflict. I've talked with other writers about it. It's like you find that cool spot, and you're like, but you don't want to tell anybody. Tell everybody yes. about this. It's just, it's, you know, because the second you write that shit on Thrillist or any of those things, it's gonna p- blow up. Everyone's yeah. gonna show up, and then it's like, now you're not gonna be able to find a table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How do you balance? How do you find the balance for that? Like, because if you have, like you said, you have a spot that you fall lo- fall in love with. You know, you know the chef or you know the the staff, and you're you're just like they have the table set up for you. You're like, how long before you decide? Okay, I'm gonna write about you now. Right, uh, it's tough. You know, I mean, I think um, there's definitely plenty of places that I kind of like keep in my back pocket that I'm like, you know, I don't wanna, I don't wanna blow it up too much. Um, you know, but then there are some other places where I feel like, you know what, like people are gonna dig this. Like I want, I want people to check it out because it's always been something that before I was writing I love finding those sort of out of the way places and I love sharing them with my friends so now I feel like oh I have this opportunity to share them with you know hundreds thousands more people right um, and I think also for me I really enjoy when um, it's a like a small independent business and I go there and say like oh I really love, love what you guys are doing here love to you know help spread the word and get it out there and for them to say like that's great like we'd love to do yeah, it you know yeah, like yeah. Um, it was great. There's a, a whiskey and poetry salon that is uh, really an awesome uh, event to check out. And mm. basically, it's you, um, Johnny the Scott, hosted, and he uh, you sample a little whiskey, and in exchange, everyone who comes has to read a poem. Um, so it can be one that they wrote or somebody else wrote. Sure. Um, but you know, just having the, the bravery to get up and read it, and yeah. and in exchange, you'll, you get to try these amazing whiskeys. Um, so with that, you know, they had done an event, and I wrote about it, and they said, oh my goodness, thank you so much. You know, we just sold out twice over because of that article. Like, the, the word got out. It was great. It's like, that's, that's part of what I, I do it for, you know. Yes, just exactly. Just to help, um, help other business, you know, these small businesses thrive and, and really, you know, pursue their passions and, and connect more people to it so other people right. can, can find those things. I mean, there, there's a flip side to it as well. I've had people say, you know what, like, thank you, but we actually want to kind of keep it like, on the down low. smaller. Yeah. And like, we're worried there might be too much exposure, I mean, which is interesting. But Yeah. It's, 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 it's an interesting viewpoint for a business. Like, no, we don't want to sell too much. We right. want to take it easy a little bit. You know totally, what I mean? Yeah. Um, now, the f- when you go to a restaurant, what's the first thing you see? Like, I mean, I mean, is it the decor? What is it about a restaurant that grabs you first? Yeah, I would say, um, yeah, definitely the decor is so design aesthetics. Um, I think that's something I've always enjoyed. And, and you know, talking about a, a range of places, you know, some places have more money to sort of invest yeah. in, you know, beautiful architecture and art and, and all those uh, elements. But, you know, but it can even be a, a smaller place that you can just tell that somebody like took care and thought into how things would look, what the the customer experience was going to be like. You know, right. to make it comfortable and welcoming. Um, so yeah, I think that's sort of at the the first um, first notice, and then um, and then really that's sort of the people. I think and how sort of you're greeted and um, you know. You can have a, a place that's like the the coolest spot, and you know, but the service sucks. Going there, yeah, and it's like you show up, and you feel like they don't really care that you're there or not. You know, they're too right. busy with other thing, and it's just like, you know, not that not that I expect like oh they're going to be you know waiting on hand and foot, but it's just you know you want to feel like 
they appreciate you coming right, in right. and you know taking the time to spend money there. So I think that's like that's sort of the second tier there. Yeah, it's like how you made it feel, and then and I think that continues. I mean, I feel like you know restaurants have off nights you know and you might go and might be like oh the food is maybe not quite there right. you know i like this but i wouldn't like this but i always feel like if you had a ple- if you were sort of you know engaged and and um feel like you were attended to and and you know had that that pleasant experience from the, right. the wait staff or for the manager whoever it is um that that makes all the difference in the world you know that you, know, you just feel like oh, that place they really like made a great effort and and sort of made me feel welcome and exactly you know, i think that just puts a, a great sort of spin on everything right i went to a, a trendy spot in la i don't remember the name of it for life of me right now but it's one of those places that you know it's very trendy there's a huge line of breakfast or brunch or whatever mm-hmm. And um, I went in there uh, with a group of people, and you know the staff was nice enough, but there was this big aura like, "Yeah, you're you're lucky to fucking eat here," right. and like it turns me off a little bit. Cause play, and the food was fantastic. Don't get me wrong; the food was excellent, but just that vibe that I got, like, "Yeah, yeah, we're a little we're a little too important for you. Ch- right. Chill out, chill out. All right, you're All lucky right. you got a table," and uh, that does turn me off because I mean the food could be excellent, but if the service is kind of like, hmm really fuck up my view on that restaurant right, right um, definitely. now uh, oh, shit, I had this question and it escaped me um, now mentioned your book now how did you actually get like get the deal to actually start on the, on the second edition um, so it's connecting with the publisher mean or yeah or just kind of, yeah how'd, how'd you get on board sure um, yeah so uh, Carrie Kim the uh, my co-author um, she and I had met uh, a couple years back when we were going to potentially work on a project together. Um, so when after I'd done the food tours, I also did these adventure tours called right. Mojo Maps. And it was a um, fun uh, bike tour where we explore sort of off the beaten path place around L.A., take people down to the L.A. River, um, take them, uh, you know, rock climbing or things to kind of challenge them, get them out of their comfort zone. And I'm... Uh, myself and, and Chris, the guy I worked with it, uh, developed it with, um, he brought in Carrie. He had seen her, he, she had seen the first edition of 100 Things. And uh, so we all met up and sort of discussing ideas and she was really into it, but uh, I just started a new job. It was just sort of swamped with, with work. She was like, oh, I love this, but you know, can't, can't really commit to anything right now. Yeah. Totally cool. So we went ahead and, and did the project and then, um, she just kept me in mind. She followed my writing and two years later emailed me out of the blue and her publisher had come to her and said, you know, hey, we want to do a second edition. Uh, a few years had passed and um, she said, great, but I just had a baby. And <laughs> Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, it's like I can't have a second baby all of a sudden. Um, so, uh, so she said, but I know a guy. And uh, she, she contacted me and said, you know, I think you'd be great, a great fit, you know, just sort of being familiar with the city and, and writing about it and finding all those little hidden gems and so um, I was excited it was great I was like just just getting married right at the same time right, so right. It was, you know it was like it was oh my great, god oh my god <laughs> a great bonus yeah um, so uh, so that was really cool and yeah and then just sort of set to work um, looking at you know what she had written and um, of course the the city moves so fast with new places opening and closing right, all the time. Right. And so I had to go through and say, okay, you know, what do you want to keep? What do I want to keep? And 
kept about 25% uh, of what she had written and then updated about 25% and added about 50% new um, with other things I wanted to, I felt really fit in there. Now, were there a few things that you kind of added? Like you said earlier, that you, have, you keep a few in your back pocket. Were there a few that you kind of bust out for that? Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of like some of the the ones. I mean, I think some of the I mean, a secret ones. I mean, there, there were a few. <laughs> like at the end, where I was just like, oh, I could have put that in there. Oh, I could have put that. Like, but you know, I only have so many pages, and right. you know, um, and there's volume three, so it's all good. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, the, and the, the publisher is really cool. They do a lot of different types of books in, in uh, different cities. So they, it's Reedy Press, and they're based in St. Louis. So like, they have a St. Louis guide, but then they also have you know a guide to sports in St. Louis. Like, right, right. You know, different things. I'm like, you know, if all goes well. You know, fingers crossed. Maybe do another another version. But uh, but in the meantime, you know, I wanted to really f sort of strike a balance between sort of these essential LA experiences and. Uh, well, I think, yeah, I'd like to think they're all essential, but um, things were, you know, maybe a little bit out of the way, right? You know, and you wouldn't find in other guidebooks, um, and things that might be interesting to someone who just showed up, um, and also to people who, you know, lived here their whole lives, right? Um, so, which is tough because again, it's a big city, and there's a lot of really cool things to explore, and. Um, everyone sort of got their own their own interests, but these are the things that I was really excited about. How do you feel about the effects of? I mean, everyone talks about justification mm -hmm. in today's culture, especially in LA. I mean, uh, there's a lot of these really cool little like upscale like boutique shops and things like that. Um, these formerly trashy areas are now becoming like a gathering uh, gathering ground for millennials, people like our age. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think there's a positive or negative effect in terms of the cultural landscape? Because, you know, L.A. is such a multicultural city. You have, you know, a big Latin presence here, uh, a big Asian presence in certain areas, and you have this fusion food. Do you think that gentrification has any kind of positive or negative effect on that? Oh, yeah. That's uh, it's it's a, a big, big question. Topic. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, my, my sense in, in terms of um, some of these sort of flashpoints that we've had in, in terms of gentrification um, you know again it, it's 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 a complex issue because it means a lot to, to different people and, yeah. and um, it's a very very passionate issue um, I think that there are times when um, I probably upset some people but whatever uh, there are times when I feel like there is misdirected energy um, where I think that certain small businesses are targeted, um, let's say it's like food or coffee shop or whatever, um, or art gallery or something like that, um, they are singled out and saying sort of, oh, you, they're the, you know, bringing gentrification, laying the groundwork, and they're changing the neighborhood and pricing people out. And yeah. Things. And, you know, obviously we're talking sort of broad generalizations, but I think for the most part it's like, where the energy should be directed is sort of looking at developers and sort of the, the real estate component um, to how neighborhoods change. Um, right. And really looking for ways in which you can develop, you know, and maintain affordable housing and ensure that, you know, communities that have lived in those neighborhoods aren't driven out um, right. and are priced out. And, um, you know, I, I think unfortunately is with any city, there's sort of an inevitability of, 
of flux. And mm -hmm. you know, if you look at the history of LA, neighborhoods have evolved, you know, dramatically over the years. You think of Boyle Heights, it used to be a predominantly Jewish neighborhood, and then, you know, later evolved. And you know, it's not to say, oh, that you know, that progress is inevitable, but um, at the same time, I think it's looking at sort of how we can sort of come together to discuss ways that are constructive to you know strengthening a community you know i talked to my a friend of mine who grew up here and uh used to live in highland park he says you know this is great he's like that that you know bar down the street was really sketchy you know or this is like was not didn't feel like a safe place he's like i want these places to feel safer for people right, right. um you know and at the same time also for the people who have lived there to not feel that they are no longer right. welcome you know so yeah because it was like yeah, yeah. It's a weird issue because I know, for instance, in um, I think it was in Oakland, uh, Golden Road tried to open a brew, a brew pub out there, and the residents were completely against it. They protested. I'm not sure if they succeeded in keeping mm -hmm. them out, but it's a very interesting topic because, like you said, I mean, for those people and those neighborhoods, you know, we're trying to live our lives, trying to pay our rent, and if this big business shows up, takes all of our parking because there was no parking lot or something. Right. All of our parking, not to mention now, now. Uh, there's going to be other businesses and our property rates are going to go up. That means, you know, to be more expensive to live there. I mean, it's sort of like it's a double-edged sort of source because on one hand, you have all these new businesses, new opportunities for people to come in and open new businesses. And uh, you said um, some of these formerly sketchy areas are becoming like it's more safer to go to. Now there are more mm -hmm. people there, more kids yeah. having a good time. I mean, there's got to be a balance somewhere, I feel like. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that's the challenge. It's how how do we strike mm -hmm. the balance? Another thing I've noticed recently in this politically charged climate, we're not going to get political at all. <laughs> but one thing I, I I find interesting is the cultural appropriation thing. Um, I forgot where exactly it was. I think it was in Portland a few years ago. Uh, two white girls, or I guess, or two white women, were making burritos, and they ended up getting like kicked out of town because there are these white girls making burritos. So that's cultural appropriation. Right. I think it's bullshit. What's your thought on that? Yeah, that was a tough one because there was a, I remember that and um, I have like all the, the specifics, you know, I remember right. on it. But but I do think it was something where they had gone down to Mexico and they were sort of fascinated and wanted to learn more. Um, and I think in, in an interview they had said something like, oh, you know, they we couldn't get the secret recipe or whatever it was. So we eavesdropped and, you know, listened in or watched in or whatever. Um, and I think that was that was sort of the, the turning point for a lot of people. They thought like, oh, you, you've stolen it and, and taken it away. Right. Um, you know, it's uh, again, it's a, it's a complicated issue. I mean, I think it's something that, um, you know, when something is done uh, sincerely, where you know, let's say it's not your personal, you know, cultural uh, history or. Um, that you're sort of delving into to new territory. Um, I think the key is, you know, sort of having a, a sense of respect, right? Um, and you know, acknowledging the fact that it's it's new territory for you, right? Um, and that uh, you know, and I think sort of finding a way to sort of acknowledge that and upfront, you know, and to say like, hey, this is something that like. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just finding a way to sort of uh, offer respect and sort of acknowledgement and not suggest that you've just sort of independently come up with this idea. Right, and right. Give attribution and sort of. Um, uh, but I think there's also, you know, we get in a tricky 
territory when we think of, you know, authenticity. And so right, like, right. Well, is this, you know, if you aren't, you know, 100% from this place, are you allowed to, to make this food? And I right. think, like, we're going to get in a lot of, lot of trouble about there. That. Yeah, because yeah. it's, you know, because no matter where you go, you'll look and you'll see. I and mean, it's one of the things I love about food history uh, is that there are so many layers to it. And so you can, you know, trace a, a dish or an ingredient right. and find that, you know, oh, well, this, you know, wasn't always here. It was brought by this group that, you know, sort of the way that, like, El Pastor was sort of, uh, evolved out of traditions of Lebanese immigrants that moved right, to Mexico right. and sort of brought that. I mean, that's just like one example, but it's just uh, an ongoing evolution when it comes to food. And, right. and I think that, you know, yes, you want to sort of pay respect and, and uh, acknowledge where you've picked up some mm. of these things, but I think if we try to hold on so tightly so to, <laughs> you know, something, this idea of authentic, right, then, right. then it gets tricky yeah so yeah now it's starting to get yeah. rainy on us so i think we're going to stop for now because yeah. it's getting too much um all right so before we go uh, plug your book real quick go all right uh so um we're excited for 100 things to do in la before you die volume two uh it'll be coming out in uh the end of april um so i'm going to do a little link to that uh, and then we're going to be doing a uh a party at uh, Angel City Brewery. So um, I'll post the links on there on yeah, the yeah, site. So, so that'll be in, in May. So um, yeah, I hope you guys can come out and uh, check out the book and uh, join me in exploring LA. And it's a wonderful place to explore for sure. Danny, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate you sitting with me and toughing through this weather. I know it was a pain in the ass to record this with me. Yeah, not too I really appreciate LA it. Weather. Yeah, I know. It's like the craziest LA winter we've had. It's yeah. like 81 day, fucking 40 night the next. Yeah. Um, so that's it. Thank you so much for listening to the Slur Podcast. Until next week, my friends, cheers. <laughs>